We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to catch up on an exciting weekend of NBA basketball. Kind of A lot of uh, mirror images around the playoffs. Both number one seeds saw their leads in their series go from 2-0 to tied at 2, with Dallas tying things up with Phoenix, and then Philadelphia tying things up with Miami. And then the three seeds, both former champions in Milwaukee and Golden State went up two to one on good but younger and perhaps inexperienced teams. Guys, one of the themes I saw this weekend was that whole idea that this is a make or miss league. And there are going to be times where, like Dallas, for example, there were so many possessions where Phoenix made the exact right rotation and closed out and did everything correctly. And then someone just stuck a shot, just a a three in someone's face that was like, good defense, better shot. Then on the other end, you had a a few games or a few players, Tatum's individual performance, Miami, where the ball gets rotated to an open three-point shooter. You've got everything right. You got a good, clean look, but you just can't knock it down. And as much as we love to obsess over the details, D, that's always an overriding presence, especially in playoff games, is do you knock down your shots? And so this was something that was one of my big takeaways from this weekend. I'm curious what stood out to you. Well, just to speak to your point, I thought Eric Spolster made the same exact point yesterday after the Heat um, lost game four to the 76ers. And he had basically said that during in game three, he thought they actually weren't able to generate looks. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's like, oh, we got bogged down. And, you know, he didn't say this, I don't think, verbatim, but like credit to Philly, their defense and, you know, Miami not sticking to their principles enough and yada, yada, yada. Coach speak a little bit. But he said in game four, I thought we got a lot of good looks mm-hmm. and we just didn't make them. And that is where I think just speaking to that point, that's where you need other elements of your game to carry you in ways that allow you to pull out the games where maybe your offense doesn't do enough to actually help you win. And what stood out to me then in speaking to that point 
is there are times where a singular individual performance or a great player can just put his stamp on the game in in a way that puts you over the top. And Mike, I think this is why you've rightfully so been so just adamant about LeBron and AD and speaking to that point, because what game was it? Game four for the Buck series where Giannis is just like, okay, well, look, here's 40 and 12 and damn near 10, right? I think he had 40, 12 and eight or something like that, right? Yeah, two blocks, three. two yeah. yeah, or that was game three, two blocks, two steals, and they barely win that game. But that tells me, well, looks like you needed all 42 of those Giannis points. That's what sort of stood out to me. And and Bede's return too, where it's just like, oh, okay. It speaks to my point about slotting that I've made a lot. Even if Embiid wasn't great, in in game three he slots everybody back into their right roles and then you take away all of the minutes from the bad player who has to replace him and it's just like okay now things are back in order and this dude is the best player in the series even if he's not necessarily playing like it and now bam is more limited and and just the way that it puts things back into their i don't want to say the right slots for both teams right but it it evens things out in ways where now it's like okay well Harden has a good game well that puts things over the top or Maxi playing to the level that he's been playing and it's like those things have way more value than what they did when you're missing a Joel Embiid and so to me it's like the Stars League with like Luca and Embiid and Giannis and that idea of oh well yes this is why you want these dudes on your team. Yeah, the make or miss thing is I've never been a big fan of that terminology. I think that it's true every once in a while, like in I'm thinking maybe Heat, Spurs and Ray Allen, where it's tight enough. And literally, if that shot goes in or not, then like that can decide the fate of the season to some extent. But usually I think there's a reason for the makes or the misses. And that is where part of the LeBron and the AD thing comes in and where where you've got either you've got some advantage that is causing the other team to miss shots or you don't have the advantage. And therefore, if they miss shots, it's just it's more or less like on them. And there have been some games, I think, where that applies in this postseason. But ultimately, what I think has been really exciting about watching these matchups is that everybody's pretty close. Like these yeah. series. Yeah, so. Pete, hit on that, though, for a second with the make or miss. I'm, I'm curious of your extended thoughts on it. Yeah, so I think that like 80% of games fall within that range that you're talking about. But you're going to have games. Well, I suppose what I'm talking about is the ability to make open shots. So, for example, our game one against Portland in the first round of the 2020 playoffs, where we got a ton of open looks, but we just kept bricking them, right? And so, like, speaking to Spolster's point that, that Darius was talking about was – are you generating good looks? So for example, Milwaukee did not shoot particularly well against Boston, but I think Boston was a big reason why they did not shoot well. The In that Philly game versus Miami, they had a bunch of like Kyle Lowry who looks bad coming off of uh, his hamstring injury. And, and that's a, a significant event in the series. Or Tyler Hero getting a clean look where like Embiid makes the wrong rotation and Tyler Hero is alone. And he misses the shot. You know what I mean? Or on the other end of things, a team like Dallas, who's got all of these tall shooters like Bertans or Kleba and even Luca, where it's like you do everything right on defense and you still 
give up three on, on that possession. But to your point, Mike, about how close this is, that ability to make shots where the defense did everything right and you still you know, nailed that three or that contested jumper, or when you miss the wide open ones, oftentimes that's exactly what swings these really close series. So that's one of the reasons I bring it up is because I think we saw the effect of it in this brilliant playoffs where everyone's, you know, so tightly contested. So the one, the series where I think that it, it applies uh, probably more than the other ones is Milwaukee, Boston, uh, just because there's a there's enough talent on both sides, and you mentioned the Giannis point earlier, Darius. Like he's been ridiculous. He's of course the biggest reason that they're up two one. Um, Boston was able to bounce back though in game two and hit most of their shots in part because of the, the way that Milwaukee is playing, and like those shots are going to be available uh, to them to an extent. And then Milwaukee bounces back again in game three because Brooke Lopez is able to avoid foul trouble this time, and he's in the game more, and that gives them the actual length they need, but. That, to me, does feel still a little bit more like a seesaw series. And then the one that I wanted to focus on for a second, though, was Phoenix and Dallas, because after the way that game two ended there, you saw a lot of sort of writing Phoenix into the championship. Like, oh, yeah, this is the dominant regular season team that we've seen. This team is incredible. They're definitely going all the way. And I think that ignored that. Aside, So the way that the series started, the actual first quarter of game one, and then the fourth quarter of game two, other than that, Dallas was right there with them. Like they were hanging pretty well. They were hanging pretty tight. They were getting good shots like Luca was being Luca. And then they got home and we saw that Dallas again kind of found what they had in the first round where Jalen Brunson had reemerged and where Spencer Dinwiddie was attacking some. And Phoenix wasn't able to just isolate and attack Luca the whole game because he was giving a little bit more defensively. So that to me is I, I still would favor Phoenix slightly to win the series, but it's not it, – it, I think it's what I thought was going to happen going into the series. And, uh, and Riggs agree. The Suns-Mavs series is – Pete, you mentioned – or I think, Mike, you mentioned like a seesaw series. I look at Boston and Milwaukee as a tug-of-war, and the damn thing is right in the middle. Yeah. The flag is right in the middle, right? And one team is pulling. This is like, okay, we've got an advantage, and that advantage literally lasts like 20 seconds until the other team pulls it right back to the middle. And we'll see who outlasts who. That seems like an outlast series, right? Yep. The the Mavs and Suns series, that seems more like a seesaw series to me where it's just like, okay, is Phoenix actually going to put their weight down again and get this thing back on their side because the interesting dynamics of like who the best player is because coming off the last coming off the first round Chris Paul was dominant like it, it, it's him being a small guard and and as old as he is like 37 is not necessarily old but when you're 6 foot that's old Right. And look, I don't care if you're vegan. I don't care what lifestyle changes you made. The dude being six foot and being able to go like 14 for 14 in a playoff game to close out a series. It's patently ridiculous that a player could have that type of performance and have that much control. But in this series, Luca has sort of been like, yeah, okay. I can play to that level, and it's just a matter to me, Pete, of finding the right balance where the rest of his teammates have enough of an opportunity 
and and that Luca strikes the right balance within possessions. And that's what I thought was missing a lot in the first two games is that it was almost too like Mike had mentioned this too. It was too much Luca. It was too it was too heliocentric. And I thought Jason Kidd's comments after game three where it's just like more guys came to to the party. Well, Luca was the guy who was standing in front of the velvet rope to a certain extent outside the club and being like letting people in or not right like oh, oh all right Brunson like you're allowed now to come in the club and so I thought Luca let more people into the party and I'm I'm guessing if you give Jason Kidd the truth serum that's sort of what he was thinking I actually let's go to break here because I viewed those comments through a defensive lens so mm. when we come back let's talk about that and, dur- and during the break I'm picturing a tug of war to get into a club uh, to tie up Darius's <laughs> metaphors together. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So after game two in that Phoenix-Dallas series, Jason Kidd, I think he's probably the most sarcastic coach in the NBA. It really rubs me the wrong way. Just like I text you guys sometimes like this dude drives me crazy. Anyway, but he's like this very sarcastic, passive aggressive. And so in game two, one of the big stories was they targeted Luca on 40 some odd, 50 some odd pick and rolls and had like a 1.72 points per possession. And so like the average play, and this is lower in the playoffs. Think around one point per possession, right? That's not the exact number, but it's close enough to be about average, right? One point per possession. So they were scoring like 1.7 points per possession, 
specifically targeting Luca, Mike. In that level of making shots, not sustainable, uh, as we learned in Dallas. It's it's not. But if you find if you find the entry point in the playoffs on offense, that's one of the things in half court offense when you're game plan planning against the same team and the same players. At some point, especially as you get deeper into the series, it's like, how do we create that first advantage? Because like we're on like plan C, plan D. And so if a lot of times that becomes just kind of spamming, we're going to attack you and this player over and over again. And the so kids comments, he was talking about he said made made a comment about how Luca needed to participate on defense, right? And it was so like cutting the word participate to me, right? Cuz it's like you're so bad, Darius, that like I'm not even saying you're bad. I'm saying you're not even like participating in playing defense here. And so that was something that in game 4 especially uh, that I thought Luca made a lot of plays on the defensive end. And so much of what they are, guys, uh, is the ability to play good, solid defense, and then they stretch you out on the other end of the floor. And Phoenix plays so many traditional bigs that rotating out to five shooters can be really difficult. But if you have a weak link and Luca's got to play 40 minutes, right? Luca's got to be out there not only providing that on offense, but also participating, quote unquote, on defense. And I think that's been a big difference these last two games. It'd be like if we recorded the podcast and then Pete went on some other podcast and they asked him about it and he said, uh, yeah, you know, if, if Mike would just participate a little more, it's like, well, I, I talked the same that, that you guys did. What? So what does he say? Oh, damn, yeah. that hurts. Yeah, it's like a middle yeah. finger. To, yeah, like screw but, you, man. And this is where but this is where <laughs> I thought that was going to even out because Luca is not Trey Young. Like Luca is not unable you know, to impact some plays defensively by giving. And what they were talking about in the broadcast a lot was they were basically asking Luca for, you know, the first two or three seconds of a possession. And then the help defense would come and would be there. But if you're not in, if you're not engaged or participatory in those first couple (laughs) seconds, then they're really going to go at you. So that was, that was something where, again, I, I just thought that fourth quarter Yes, Phoenix completely handed Dallas its ass in that fourth quarter, but that, that's not the Dallas that we've seen all year. You know, that's they've been a really good defense all season long. And yes, Luca was worn out, but that was also partly on him for having the ball too much and not letting Brunson attack good point. more. Yeah, and part of it was on Dinwiddie for. So it's all of that, and it was it was correctable to an extent. Um, I just thought it, and now I'm. I think we're really in for a great end to this series, and Phoenix does have that that pivotal Game Five home court advantage which we've seen the Lakers use so many times. And by the way, if Boston's able to tie it up uh, at two, Milwaukee gave away home court to them. And now they have it, but they have it right now, but Boston can steal it back in game four. So like those, uh, and, and by the way, Milwaukee, or sorry, Miami, Philly, two, two Memphis is a whole nother story because of jaw and the injury. But mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm already getting off on that Luca point that you, that I wanted to get your thoughts on Darius. So one last thing about Luca there is I don't know if you guys listened to him on the JJ Reddick podcast. This was maybe about a month ago, month and a half ago. And there was a specific section where JJ asked Luca about, hey, I've noticed that during the season you were targeting star players mm-hmm. when you were going after them. Right. And so and remember, I don't know if you remember this, Pete, but in our text thread, I was 
messaging you guys during the last Mavs Lakers game, and I was just like, Luca just targeting LeBron. Yeah, he he is just yep. he is targeting him every possession, and I was just like, oh my god, like he's going after LeBron. But- you never see that, by the way. That's something that like we talk about targeting. That's usually in instances of switching, not always, but the Lakers were switching everything, and. What do offenses normally do, D? They'd be like, okay, who's the worst defender on the floor? Malik Monk, your man comes up and sets yes. a screen, and now we're going to isolate you. But it's never LeBron because he's never the worst defensive player on the floor. But that's the point. Yes. And so JJ asked Luca about it, and Luca said, I'm looking at those guys because they are so important to their team's offense. And you have to make them work defensively. And so it wasn't this long thing, but Luca made a point to basically be like, okay, well, I know that they're so important and that like the, our one of our goals is to make those those guys work on mobile on the other end too, because if we could wear them down, that could potentially make their offense less less effective. And so Chris Paul and JJ Reddick go way back, way back, right? They have roots in North Carolina in terms of their college basketball history. And they obviously were teammates with the Clippers for a long time. They're really good friends. Chris Paul's been on JJ's pod a bunch of times. So would it surprise me if Chris Paul was in and understanding what Luka Doncic had said about targeting stars? And so Mm. after Mm. that game, Pete, that you brought, that you said that they targeted Luka a bunch. If you go back and you look at the clip, right when they asked the question, Devin Booker had this little grin on his face and he looked at Chris Paul. And it was sort of (laughs) like, it was almost like understood between Mm -hmm. them. Like, like we gave this MF -er some of his own medicine. He was talking all that trash about going after stars. Well, like, oh, how, Mm -hmm. how the tables have turned. Right. And so it was super interesting to me then in these last couple of games, Luca's been like, oh, oh, yeah, Chris Paul. Oh, yeah, Devin Booker. You wanted to target me? Well, people be calling me pudgy. Well, I'm 6'8", 255, 260. I'm backing your ass down. And I'm taking you to the post. And we're going to see how you like being targeted on post-ups with a dude who's basically LeBron James' size. We don't talk about Luca like that because he's not the physical specimen that LeBron is. But he Luca's a big-ass dude. And if he's just banging in to you, possession after possession after possession, y- you may draw a couple of fouls that foul you out of the game later on right or you may end up not having your legs because you are defending a guy who is basically taking your legs away by banging on you because you have to defend a post-up possession and so that that chess match that that battle between high level thinkers of the game is to me what the playoffs is is about and that's why that sort of star that idea of who your stars are and what your stars are capable of and how they can manipulate the tenor and the tone of an individual game and potentially turn a series that's why that has stood out to me the most all right so i think that the philly miami discussion or the series requires some more discussion here so let's take a quick break and come back and and get into the eastern conferences one versus four
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so this series seems pretty simple at this point. So Philly doesn't have Joel Embiid in games one and two. Uh, Miami handles very easily 106-92 in game one, 119-103 in game two. And then Embiid comes back, and it's a 20-point win in game three. Miami only scores 79 points despite Jimmy Butler going for 33. And then Butler goes off again in game four. They manage 108, but they lose it. Not handily, but Philly was in control. And... You know, the question is, now that Embiid is back and, you know, what does Miami do? And so I want to I'm going to hit this to you first, Pete, because I, I know that you liked Miami a lot going into the postseason. And I wonder, like, what do you think is the rub there? Do you think that Miami can get back to playing the way that they want to play? Uh, or do you think that Embiid has made such a big difference that you would even favor a Philly as the series gets down to the uh, to the final couple games. I still favor Miami because like that game yesterday in particular, again, I agree with Spolstra's evaluation and, and Philly shot really well. Like Harden, that was one of Harden's best uh, best playoff games in quite some time, I thought. And there were several possessions down the stretch. Like Miami kept, so at one point they were like five for 30 from three or something ridiculous like that, right? I think they ended like six for 33 or something close to that. And um and so, but they were still within like four to six points for a lot of that. And it was like, are they going to be able to, to, and Jimmy Butler was hitting these phenomenal shots, right? He's, he's just so fantastic from 15 feet and in, but they just couldn't hit a jumper, but they were close. And Harden had this one play that I thought really swung the game where they'd switched Bam onto him. And one of the things that Bam is really good at is switching onto guards. He's one of the better fives in the league at, at sticking with someone out there. And so He's even sitting on Harden's step back jumper and contests it from the side, like everything. He does everything right. And Harden nails it. It's one of those shots that we've seen James Harden hit over and over and over again. So if that James Harden shows up, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about the shot making component, Mike, is like Miami had a lot of possessions in that game where they did everything right. And James Harden just hit up type of sh- the type of shot that the best version of James Harden hits. And oh, your boy Danny Green, right, who basically <laughs> didn't miss a three in games three and four. Yeah, no, that's right. And so uh, when there's that discrepancy between that versus a guy like Tyler Hero or a Kyle Lowry, who I'm more concerned about his capability at this point, like – I, I still think Miami got better looks. I thought that if you play that exact same game – a hundred times, but with the normal shot making variants, they probably win 80 of them. And so that said, Embiid's going to get to the free throw line. Maxie's a shot maker. Tobias Harris is a shot maker. James Harden obviously is a shot maker. And when you get to the best of three D anything can happen. So as much as I like Miami, it's something that like everything's so close where in a series like this, even if Embiid was here the whole time, I would have said 60, 40 Miami. Right. And so like everything's so close that we're within that variance where I think a lot of different outcomes can happen. It's hard for me to trust Philly. They have some players or they have a single player. I don't trust James Harden. So, and I only quasi trust doc rivers. 
Glenn, he will make mistakes. That Glenn character. But I'm going to hammer my theme of the day, which is who is the best player. And and beats the best player. And the thing that complicates things for Miami to me is that Embiid being the best player at the same position where Miami really needs that guy to be like almost their 1B in BAM, like that's problematic because like people were talking about like, oh, when, when Embiid wasn't there, people were talking about, oh, well, is BAM the third best center in the league? Right? Like, oh, there's Embiid, there's Jokic, and then BAM is right there in the discussion. And maybe he is. Maybe he is. Embiid's about to finish second in the MVP rating or in the MVP vote. And BAM is going to battle for third team all NBA. Right? And so the discrepancy between that level of player in Embiid and BAM, there's still quite a difference there. And if, and it'd be one thing if Embiid was an offense only player. And was just like, okay, well, I can get you 40, but the guy I'm guarding could get 25. But Embiid's one of the best defensive players in the league, too. And his impact on that end of the floor is going to limit Bam in ways that are start to shift the series to me from what I saw over the weekend. And I'm wondering, Pete how you sort of negotiate that, like the the individual matchup within the team game and like the sum of the parts thing and how Embiid's just like, oh, some of the parts, huh? Well, let me take a couple of those points away from you and and weaken you in a way that now are you greater than the sum of your parts? And that's a tricky thing to me to negotiate if you're the heat at this point. No, that's a great point. And that's, in essence, what a lot of these playoff series are, is you've got one team has like a monster on their team, and then the other team is just good all across. And who's going to win that battle? It's a, it's a great NBA story. And Miami is a team where I think their worst player in their rotation is better than almost anybody else's or probably anyone else's worst rotation player. They've got a lot of guys who are really good. And I think that when you're that type of team, you can kind of distribute the responsibility you're less prone to uh you're you're less prone to being hurt by one thing going wrong or not but mike there is a certain like size still matters in the nba i i think that there are, i think spolster has some some pitches to go to that can so like Embiid was really prob- problematic, especially in the first half, not as much in the second half, in part because defensively they weren't fronting him as much. Their rotations were better. He, they got a couple of things that they can go to. But like Darius says, and we're seeing this in the Milwaukee series, like Giannis just decided to win game three. Like great players can impose themselves on a game to the point where it's like, yeah, the other team may have even played better than your team did, but the best player won that game. And NBA history is full of games like that in the playoffs. So he that absolutely yeah. could be could be the outcome. But I think it's up to Embiid to make that happen. Well, Embiid to me, this is a perfect time to get to Darius's one of his favorite Ooh. points of slotting. And so when Embiid is out there, Philly all of a sudden is huge. Yeah. And so so some of the shots, yes, Miami's still going to be able to get some threes off, no question. But Danny Green and Tobias Harris on the wing, you know, Maxi isn't isn't huge, but he's super athletic and super problematic at that spot. And then even Harden just physically is very big, very strong. And so that's a big team mm-hmm. that 
and my concern before really the series, or I guess the playoffs started about Miami was, hey, Jimmy Butler hasn't really been alpha Jimmy Butler much this year. Can he get there? And and he has. But the yeah. problem, on the other hand, that we can't ignore for Miami is that Kyle Lowry is not healthy. Yeah. And, and, I, and I just think it's so we cannot gloss over that fact that if any player in the playoffs is not themselves, but particularly a really good player like Kyle Lowry was terrific for most of the season. He's playing on one leg. You know, he had seven assists, four turnovers. He was 0 for 6 from 3. He had no lift. And so they're having to play Gabe Vincent, who's a perfectly good backup rotation player, but he's mm-hmm. not the guy that Philly's scared of. They're like, sure, go ahead. You want to take some threes? Okay, he was 0 for 4 from 3. He was 1 for 6 from the field. So there, that's a spot. That's a hole. And Philly in yeah. this game didn't have a hole. And so I, I kind of – I tend to agree, like, before the season – before the series started, I thought Miami would win because of a lot of Philly's own problems. Uh, but that was not factoring in something like Lowry. And yeah. it's I do think it's going to be difficult for them to overcome that with Embiid potentially growing stronger um, as he gets in better shape and as he kind of deals with his stuff. So I, if I'm Miami, I'm on high alert now. And I'm not thinking about the series the same way that I did to start it. And, and, and that's – I'm kind of flipping that. If I'm Dallas, I'm – I'm thinking I've got a real chance when I'm going into Phoenix, even if they have the advantage uh, because they're healthy. They're starting to coalesce. They've started to figure out some things that work on Phoenix. And so there's a, at least a slight interesting contrast for me there with the number one seeds. So so is that what you see right now, Mike, is that the those two number four seeds got consecutive wins? You see that. Do you see them having I mean, they have the momentum. Do you see that carrying forward into a game five? But this is, again, why that home game five. That's basically what you're playing for. So I get it that people say home game seven is what you're playing for, but really it's five because that's that's that kind of reset. It's and the swing game, can, Mike. It's, it's the, swing the swing game. Swing. And if you can do it in game five, then you feel confident you can do it in game seven, uh, right, if you have to. But a, a lot of times what happens is you end up winning game six if you're that team and you get that that home game five. So I'm – I can't. I just can't dismiss the historical power um, if the teams are close of that home crowd in Game Five because that's when, like, home crowds big to start a series. But the, I think the reason why it's even a bigger advantage in Game Five is because then the crowd also knows how completely pivotal every possession is, and they are. So if you're not there, to, if you're not ready mentally to start the game, crowd's going to make sure you are, and and that to me should make the difference. So. In the whole prediction business, it's it's tough. We we could we'd have to spend more time breaking down each individual. These playoffs game, are so close too. Like like yeah. one little thing can swing any game. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll say the same thing when if so if Boston goes, it does end up getting game four, which they certainly could. Do they have the clear advantage in game five? I don't know. You know that's it. They're cl- they're so close, and they've got in Milwaukee has Giannis. But the one thing I I will say is I just think that Dallas is playing better and is healthier. Um, than Miami and that that mm. Lowry issue mm-hmm. and that you know Duncan Robinson not in the rotation you know there's just there are a couple things there where Philly's got some advantages and I don't think Phoenix is going to be able to just go back to the sort of that Luca well for the entirety of game five you know like they did to win game two and that's not to say that that they aren't going to win it but um, I'm I've got my my worry is probably highest for for Miami in terms of the teams that I thought were going to win the series. Yeah, likewise. The Suns were the best team in the regular season, and they've shown themselves to be the best team overall to a certain extent. They always say in, like, baseball that momentum is the next game's starting pitcher, right? And so to a certain extent, I see that that same idea taking hold for, like, momentum is 
who's at home next and it's going to have the best crowd. And like, so I look at Phoenix for game five as like, that's their chance to reassert themselves as the best team. And those dudes are going to be ready. Right. Like there's a, those dudes seem to respond best to like bad, like bad taste in their mouth type of game. And, and Booker and Paul, like, I expect those guys to be ready to go. And then you get a Bridges game and it's just like, okay, well, they're up by 15 and Luca's going to have that disheveled look on his face like WTF, right? And and, and so I could see... Are the refs going to be involved? Like, are they going to not allow Chris to do any of his BS stuff? Like what happened in game four? Or are they going to let him play? Like, that's a real (laughs) storyline. Who's who's the ref going to be? And I really hope it's not the main storyline, but I, you know... That kind of hap- that happens with Chris and, and James Harden once you get to this point. Like the refs kind of figure mm-hmm. it out. No, yeah, we'll no, see absolutely. If, we'll see if Scott Foster is involved in game five. Him and Chris have their, you know, their partnership going back. That is not uh that's not a friendly one. I don't know, man. The playoffs have been so great. We didn't even talk about Golden State and Memphis, which is like, you know, those fan bases are ready to kill each other. Right. With all the in, with all the injuries and who injured who and those guys are warring. And then. Right. And Jaws now doubt he's listed as doubtful for the next game. And I'm interested to see how that series goes as well. Like and we didn't even talk about it. Right. And, and, and it's because these other series are so intriguing that we just didn't have time for Golden State and Memphis. So maybe we'll get to them next time. If Ja were healthy, then I think we would have talked about it maybe first, but it's sort of, it does take so much of that buzz out, right? If he's not, if he's not there to play in game four. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's, that's unfortunate. We've had, you know, some of that during these playoffs where several all-stars have been out. Um, But I do think these playoffs have been higher caliber than last seasons, at least. So um, we got a couple more coming up tonight. I'd love to get into Boston and Milwaukee. We won't do that today. We'll do that after uh, tonight's game. Your point about it being a tug of war, though, I think is spot on. And I think that Boston has a big legs advantage, juice advantage. Like that fourth quarter, Milwaukee was just barely hanging on. I think that they've been kind of holding it together due to, you know, with some smoke and mirrors and Giannis being the best player in the NBA. And sometimes just that is enough. You can win a series like that. And, uh, but, Boston is a younger team. Milwaukee has those defending champion legs. I am curious how that progresses. I'm certainly nervous as a Laker fan, but rooting for Milwaukee tonight. But I, I think that, you know, Boston has the uh, the advantage. Fingers crossed, though. Go Milwaukee. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow <laughs> to talk to talk about it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the He's an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move, two, one, it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.